0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, could we soon face tougher restrictions to deal with the pandemic? We are able uh, to do things now in a targeted way uh, that is uh, better able to
1: prevent meeting a very blunt instrument of a nationwide massive shutdown. Uh, But you're right. It takes time and we have to
0: persevere we have to know that we are going to get through this in the coming weeks and months but it is going to take weeks and months and not just days. Another motion and more questions expected from the Conservatives this week.
1: Well, I think the Conservatives have, have made a calculation here that they're you know we're far enough into the pandemic and then it's time to start asking tough questions about the response. So I don't see them letting their foot off the gas.
0: And Canada gets ready for the outcome of tomorrow's U.S. presidential election. Either
1: outcome will be significant for Canada. Uh, we have spent a lot of time carefully analyzing what either outcome would mean.
0: It's Monday, November 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us. Hi, Mark. Uh, Good to talk to you again. So as we start another week, uh, there's a lot of focus, naturally, on where we stand in the response to the coronavirus. There are decisions being made across the country about what restrictions to have in place, of course, in the UK over the weekend. uh, They introduced a four-week lockdown. Uh, meanwhile, the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland revealed that her app told her, the app that all Canadians are being urged to download, told her she'd been in proximity to somebody who had tested positive. She was tested. The test came back negative. So there's a real-world example from within the political ranks of the app being put into effect. Uh, right. So where do you think we stand at this moment as the debate continues over what should be open and what should not?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, and I think that's where the certainly where the conversation is moving. It has been moving there for the last, uh, you know, really focused in the last couple of weeks. But so many things to consider. Uh, you're right about Great Britain, Britain in the lockdown. Uh, you know, big numbers again in other European in European countries. You know, Spain, for instance. And I think at all costs, the you know, the narrative in this country is that's what we don't want to have to do. We don't want to have to lock down uh, everything again uh, because of a second wave, and yet we we have had to lock down some things in hot spots in different parts of the country in different parts of different provinces in the country and go back to a certain number of restrictions and now what you're seeing and uh, a lot of it in particular in the province of Ontario and in, in the province of Quebec is, you know, the people who are affected and who have been affected here for eight months are starting to push back and push back pretty firmly, uh, you know, small businesses in particular, restaurants, gyms who, you know, have no indoor dining in the province of Ontario, Quebec, you know, they're shutting down the gyms, and same in Ontario, and you look at the, you know, the, the positive uh, test case connection, you know, it's only a couple of percent in, in bars and restaurants in the province of Ontario, and those bar owners are going, wait a minute, you know, I'm losing my livelihood for two to three percent, but the health care people say, look, it's, it's Part of an issue around tracing, Uh, you know, uh, there are are less restrictions on the spread and and when you dine in and so on, but I'm not sure those businesses are buying that. So this week I'm going to be watching for a a lot more pushback and a lot more questions being raised about, um, you know, whose business is being made to suffer. And why, and on what evidence? And the flip side of that is going to be how quickly now governments respond to more help for these small businesses. You know, we had the federal government announcing a new uh, rent relief measures for landlords three weeks ago now, but uh, you know the bill hasn't passed in the House. They're still waiting, you know, for the money to flow and uh, other promised programs. Uh, so there's there's still lots about this we don't know, lots of uncertainty, and uh, everybody's going to be watching this week to see whether that that spike after gatherings at Thanksgiving, and, and the trend seems to be a little bit positive. The last couple of days, numbers sort of trending downwards, if that's going to continue, and allow uh, restrictions to be lifted as we, we get into the next few days and weeks here.
0: Yeah, and there's there are more questions coming from the opposition as well. I understand there's going to be another motion from the Conservatives this week, and uh, it's interesting to see how the opposition handles this, and uh, obviously a balance has to be struck between putting pressure on the government, holding the government to account, making sure the right decisions are being made, but not appearing to capitalize on a crisis. So what do you expect from the conservatives this week, and from the scrutiny on the government about some of the d- big decisions they're making.
1: Yeah, I think the, I think the conservatives have, have made a calculation here that they're you know we're far enough into the pandemic that it's time to start asking tough questions about the response. So I don't see them letting their foot off the gas. To your point about where the balance is, I think if the questions are legitimate. And the questions are the same questions that are, you know, I mean, how, you know, if you're, if you're a, a member of parliament and you've got people in your constituency and growing numbers of them, you know, second guessing the response and demanding answers about the response, uh, do you have a responsibility as their elected official to bubble that up to the heads of commons? Uh, and I think conservatives are taking that point of view that they're, they're not, uh, they're not. Taking on the government on any issue that they haven't been, you know, that hasn't been brought to them by their constituents, you know, leave aside the 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 the, the we controversy and efforts to find information about that. But when they're asking questions about the rent review and the, the rent program and the rent subsidy program and what other. Uh, subsidies the government's going to have for businesses and what's guiding Canada's health response in terms of closing businesses, closing borders. Those are all questions that are, I, I think are getting asked more and more all the time. And, and some of those questions, when you, when you have conversations, they're the same questions being asked by, by Liberals and Democrats as well. I think we've turned a bit of a corner from um, everybody in lockstep on the need for response. We're still there, uh, I, I think, in many ways in terms of elected officials across the country, you know, putting health as the number one, uh, you know, focus that they need to be looking at to make sure Canadians are safe. But, you know, that doesn't stop them from asking questions about whether responses uh, being made by governments couldn't be better, and I think you're going to hear more and more of that. Conservatives have another Opposition Day motion this week, as you sort of alluded to, that's going to touch on that again, if that's the one they call. They'll have to this afternoon to decide if that's what they want the house to debate tomorrow. Uh, But if they do, it'll be all about, uh, again, certain programs and what needs to be done, whether it's being done properly and and what else the federal government should be looking at to help those sectors of the economy that have been hard hit.
0: Meanwhile, Bill Morneau, the former finance minister, has given a couple of interviews recently about uh, his own decision to leave politics, but also about where he sees the country's finances going from here uh, and his concerns around a second wave. What were some of the takeaways from his recent comments?
1: Well, I think a couple of things that, you know, um, uh, he, he he seems to be suggesting that, you know, the, the second wave hit us harder than we thought it would. But uh, if you go back several months, Mark, a lot of the health officials and the experts were saying, look, uh, there's no way that the second wave isn't worse. Uh, we, we did everything we could to sort of mitigate that, uh, but there were a lot of people at the time saying, look, it's just, uh, when, when we get this first wave under control, it's going to, then we're, then we're in the summer, then people are going to be back into cold weather, and, you know, uh, people will be you know, more closely uh, connected and all of that. And, you know, a lot of people I was talking to was saying, this is going to be worse, just count on it, and it'll be a, a bigger test to manage the second wave. So he's he's talking about that to some extent that it's going to be a lot tougher than we thought that the, the taps will have to be opened again, uh, which is kind of interesting. I thought the other takeaway I had was the conversation around, uh, you know, why exactly did Bill Morneau leave the finance portfolio, and the stories we all heard a bit about disagreements over how much money to pour out the door, and whether he was uh, being a little stingier than than the prime minister wanted. Um, so. And you contrast that with recent comments from Christopher Freeland was, again, basically saying, it, you know, whatever money it takes, we're going to send that out the door. And don't worry, we're not even talking about fiscal anchors anymore. That will all come later. So I think that contrast is there. I also thought it was kind of neat that, you know, he's, he's uh, up for the, uh, the head of the uh, OECD, uh, OECD sorry, uh, to, uh, you know, help economies around the world and countries around the world manage the pandemic. Uh, and, and that sort of struck me as wait a minute if, if if the Prime Minister thought his time was running short, you know wanted him out as the finance minister of Canada uh, I suppose there's lots of reasons to recommend him to do this internationally, but that, that sort of struck me as interesting that we're endorsing him as the head of the OECD uh, but uh, you know he he a lot of people believe he was sort of moved out of finance, so I thought that was interesting.
0: Mm. All right, let's talk about the other big story this week, the American election uh, tomorrow. Hard to believe that is it's that a upon big us. One? I guess it's a big one. <laughs> eh? <laughs> yeah. So obviously the Canadian government is watching and is preparing for any possible outcome, and there, uh, it, under normal circumstances there are only two outcomes possible, but uh, in a way there are multiple different scenarios that could play out depending on how close the result is, if there are recounts, challenges, those kinds of things. So from a Canadian perspective, what do you think is at stake in tomorrow's presidential election?
1: Well, there's, I guess there's a lot at stake. Uh, I think the, the Canadian uh, response has been interesting so far, and I think you can expect that that response to continue till there's some kind of certainty. And it could be days or weeks, as we're hearing before, you know, uh, there's a clear-cut winner. Uh, unless there's a clear-cut winner, uh, you know, in the early hours, uh, you know, of uh, I guess Wednesday morning into Thursday, depending on how long it takes to count uh, so many of these mail-in ballots, and whether we see, uh, you know, an obvious uh, outcome taking place. But the government's been uh, silent on on preferences, and the government needs to be. Uh, you know, the Canadian governments can weigh in on all kinds of election results in Venezuela, and in you know some. Other countries of the world. The United States isn't one of them. Uh, the most powerful country in the world and your next door neighbor, uh, Canada, has learned um, historically uh, not to say anything about preferred outcomes uh, and, and wait till the results are actually in because you're going to have to work with whoever's there. So uh, there's lots at stake. I expect Canada to hit, you know, Canadian leaders to be on uh, to to keep you know keep the mute button on until there's an absolutely clear outcome. And then they'll be prepared to pronounce But you know, in direct response to your question, we know what we get with Donald Trump. So if he wins, it's four more years of that. And with Joe Biden, I think it's a little less clear. I know that, you know, I think you, you see the American uh, you see the United States returning to a lawyer, you know, perhaps a more accommodating and leadership role in the world and canada would uh, this canadian government would certainly uh, you know like to see that uh but you know there could be some some thorny files with canada under a biden presidency including the energy file and the keystone xl pipeline which joe biden has said he'll uh he doesn't approve of and he'll reverse approvals on it and uh but you know an ally on climate change and, and joe biden's got in his platform some some by america uh, provisions and promises uh that will be concerning to Canada in terms of protectionism in the U.S.
0: All right, we'll see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Always good to talk to you, Mark. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen.
1: Either outcome will be significant for Canada. Uh, We have spent a lot of time carefully analyzing what either outcome would mean.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Mira Estrada argues Canadians should be paying attention to the American election. Estrada writes, Regardless of the victor and the plan or lack thereof, our border is still at risk as long as COVID-19 continues to spread. On the matter of trade, a Trump or Biden victory poses risks to our country's economy. Looking at international affairs, rising tension between China and the U.S. is going to persist, regardless of who becomes president. Whatever the outcome tomorrow and the days that follow, Canadians should be paying attention. In the Toronto Sun, Candace Malcolm makes the case for reelecting Donald Trump. Malcolm writes, Trump is the most polarizing figure in American politics. His biggest faults are his lack of message discipline and his violation of rhetorical norms. If you can get past these flaws, which I agree cannot be defended, you will see a champion of the working class a change agent negotiating a better deal for his people and a powerful force for good in the world. He deserves to be re-elected. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues it's high time to end the pointless changing of the clocks. The Star writes, Almost 80% of the world does not follow the practice. The European Union is considering ditching it. At home, Saskatchewan and Yukon have abandoned the semi-annual time change, and British Columbia is considering it. In Ontario, MPP Jeremy Roberts wants the province to move to permanent daylight-saving time. He's not the first MPP to seek such a change, just the latest, and it is a move that is long past time. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. While much attention will be focused on the second wave of the coronavirus, as well as the American election this week, CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us there is a lot of political and procedural intrigue going on at several parliamentary
2: committees. Mark, today the Commons Health Committee meets to discuss committee business. This is the same committee which has just extracted from the government the commitment to provide thousands of pages of documents on a wide range of topics, all relating to the government's response to the COVID pandemic. The government has been given by that committee 30 days to provide a huge list of documents, studies, emails, and meeting knows. At the same time, the House of Commons Finance Committee is still stuck in an unbroken hearing being filibustered by Liberal MPs as that committee fights over who will control and who will redact documents pertaining to the We Charity controversy. And at the same time, the Commons Ethics Committee will sit again today and it is continuing its battles to hear witnesses and get documents concerning the We Charity. Last week, the Bloc Québécois voted with the Liberal government members on the committee and gave them a rare victory when they managed to shut down attempts to acquire speaking contracts between the wee Charity and the Prime Minister and his wife, Sophie Grégoire Trudeau. So, Mark, even if people's attention may be elsewhere this week, there will still be a lot of real trench warfare, or some would say the exercise of democracy, going on at a number of committees this week.
0: Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting, He will also take part in virtual discussions with the Downtown Surrey Business Improvement Association and cultural community leaders in Winnipeg, followed by a virtual visit to a Grade 11 math class at Immaculata High School in Ottawa, along with Minister of Infrastructure and Communities Catherine McKenna. Middle-class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier will launch the 10th anniversary of Financial Literacy Month during a virtual event. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will make a clean technology funding announcement for the mining industry. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will speak virtually at the Montreal Council on Foreign Relations. And Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will attend a virtual news conference for the on-road test of an automated shuttle in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, November 2nd. Tune into primetime politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.